and welcome to a, another edition of Sanctified Reasons. Sanctified Reasons, a podcast where Dan Delzell and myself, Son Edom, we talk about the things that cross our path on the corner of faith and pop culture. And I guess we could start off, Dan, by saying it's the Hall of Fame inductee, Dan Delzell. How did the uh, Hall of Fame oh, ceremony go? <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, son. Yeah, that was uh, quite a quite a deal. We had a good time there at Concordia College uh, in Seward, Nebraska, my alma mater. Uh, I was really surprised here a few months back when I received an email that our team, our tennis team, the entire team uh, from the 1980s, early 80s, we had been nominated for the Hall of Fame there at Concordia. So that was kind of that was kind of fun. But uh, I was able to reconnect with uh, a couple guys. I had a great time with uh, with, with Mark uh, from uh, Colorado. He's a teacher out there, and and Kevin, who works out in uh, in New Jersey. But uh, we were on the same tennis team um, back in the early '80s, and we we had a terrific time. You know, just kind of reconnecting and, and having fun there. There was a little banquet and a little ceremony, uh, and actually, son, yeah, mo- most of the inductees were individual athletes there uh from concordia who've either been on on concordia teams here in the last decade or so uh some you know in the last few years others going back you know a number of years uh so uh, most of them were individual athletes who were inducted i think there were maybe you know seven or eight something like that and then, and then at the end there was the, the one team and that was our team so it was fun yeah i had a good time getting back to the campus and um uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was fun. So a lot of people would think that getting into a hall of fame, well, it's a great honor, but that's the pinnacle, especially if it's a, a professional sports hall of fame, you know, that's the pinnacle of success. That's the pinnacle of greatness, but there's something even yeah. greater than that, that, uh, that's awaiting us, waiting those who accept Jesus and that's heaven, uh, which is far greater mm-hmm. than the hall of fame. And this past week, yeah. um, a story kind of broke about Kat Von D. She's a famous tattoo artist. She was on LA Inc., Miami Inc., had a uh, popular tattoo parlor or shop in Los Angeles. And I think she does some music. But anyway, she's a celebrity influencer, tattoo artist. She was heavily involved in the occult. Uh, she said she was like turned on by the macabre. And so she had these like witchcraft books and tattoos of, uh, I guess, things that represented you know, dark macabre type objects. Well, this, uh, this past week she released a video on Instagram, uh, promoting and showing her baptism. And so apparently she's renounced the occult. She's gotten rid of all those occult materials that she was having. And she's, uh, moved out of LA a couple of years ago. I think she's in Indiana somewhere. And, the thing is, though, Dan, no matter who you are, for, the first thing is, no matter who you are or no matter what you're into or how deep you're into that, Jesus can still go down, reach out, and take you out of that, no matter what it is. There's nothing greater like the macabre, the occult, the witchcraft, all that stuff that she was in. Somehow she was delivered from that. I was trying to read more about her experience of coming out of that, but a lot of the news items and stories that are out there are just focused on the baptism, baptism, baptism. And it was a local church, local church in Indiana. So it wasn't anything um, like a celebrity church or anything like that. 
But the point is, is that, you know, no matter who you are or what you're at or what you're into, if your heart is willing, which her heart was and it changed, God can reach down and pull you out of whatever you're in and rescue you and save you. And anybody that is willing is open to receiving the forgiveness and love of Jesus. That is such an important point, Son. And we see this happen uh, many times, actually, uh, over many centuries. You know, one of the most um, known examples of that, of course, is when Saul of Tarsus was converted and became the Apostle Paul. He was into some uh, some really wicked wicked stuff. Uh, but but whenever someone uh, is is prominent and they're known in the culture, and then they are converted and they lead leave their old lifestyle, yeah, it definitely um, gets people's attention. And uh, I'm very thankful that that uh, that she has come to know the Lord, uh, has been baptized, um, has dedicated her life to Christ. Uh, you know, it sounds like, uh, although I don't really know her story, you know, uh, much from reading about it or anything, but uh, it sounds like she was in uh, some, some dark things, as you mentioned there, Son. And, you know, we're coming into that time of year with Halloween when, um, you know, people you know, really tend to talk about uh, some, some, some things uh, like uh, Ouija boards and other things that are very, very dark and part of the occult and very dangerous that a person should never, never dabble with. But as you say, Son, whatever a person um, may be immersed in, Jesus can reach down and, and pull a person out of that. So uh, that's a, a beautiful story, a beautiful testimony. Um, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to pull up online, uh, you know, someplace where she's talking about her faith. I'd love to hear her uh, her testimony because uh, those are always exciting to hear, aren't they? When when uh, when someone who is so immersed in in things that um, are not in the light, but rather in the darkness, and then they then they come out of that by God's grace. It's always thrilling to hear that, and it's a good reminder to all of us that. Whatever we may find ourselves caught up in, um, God's grace can can bring us out. God's grace can deliver us, just like the Israelites were delivered out of the bondage of Egypt. Uh, there might be somebody listening to this song right now, and and there's some area of their life where they're in bondage. They're um, they feel trapped. Maybe they they keep going back to it over and over and over again, and maybe they know that it's it's just not right. It's it's, it's not a good thing, and uh, you know, the Lord will help us uh, when we when we turn to him with our struggles, when we bring him our sins, when we ask the Lord to forgive us and uh, when we turn from sin and just and just admit it to the Lord. You know, hey, this is not right. Um, this is a violation of your perfect standard. You, you didn't create me, uh, Lord, to um, to engage in this or, you know, to to take part in these things. And and then, of course, uh, we, we want to always try to do so. Um, not, you know, comparing our sins to someone else. You know, we, we want to always be careful of, uh, that we, we don't fall into a judgmental attitude where, you know, we look down on someone because of their sin or, or, or that we ever start to think, well, boy, my sin isn't as bad as their sin. I mean, that, that is a real temptation, but it just gets a, a person, especially a Christian, in a lot of uh, hot water spiritually. It's, it's not good for our soul. 
to ever think that someone else is a bigger sinner than, than we are. Um, and yet it happens, you know, we're all susceptible to it, but, um, God, God will help us to, um, to avoid that, to stay away from judgmentalism. Um, but we do need to, um, recognize that that's, you know, every bit as wicked in many ways, son, as some of these things that I'm sure she was involved with, whether it be occult things. I mean, these are all deeds of darkness, whether it's being judgmental, uh, whether it's being, you know, holier than thou, whether it's looking down on someone, whether it's judging someone, uh, or whether it's, you know, dabbling in, in witchcraft or, or, or things like that. So um, there are many opportunities for someone who wants to, um, let's say, give in to, give in to sin, but the Lord also gives us many, many ways that we can uh, set our minds on things above and not on earthly things where we can seek to, to please the Lord who died for our sins on the cross, gave us the free gift of eternal life. Um, that's our motivation for trying to do the right thing, trying to think the right things and, and, and follow the Lord. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure glad to hear, though, about her story. That's, uh, that's very, very exciting. The other thing that was interesting was when she put out this video of her baptism, it showed different clips from the church. It was a produced video. It wasn't just a, um, you know, random taking pictures with your iPhone type thing and put it up on social media. It was produced, had music, showed, uh, I guess, artists singing. It showed a bunch of tatted up people, rock star type people sitting in the pews. Um, and then, of course, the baptism itself. When you look at the the people sitting in the pews, it's it's completely different than what we would think is the iconic vision of what a congregation would be. You know, back in the day, it would be everybody in suit and ties. Maybe if you're down south, the ladies had the big bonnets on, uh, everybody in their Sunday best. And then we've kind of evolved from that into more of a casual attire going on Sundays. And then you see this picture of or this video of these kind of rock star type people, you know, some dress nice, some dress casual. And I think what is fascinating is that the church, the people that go to church, uh, the religious would look at something like this video of these people sitting in the pew and almost lose the uh, lose the fact or lose out on the fact that, you know, you've got some people that might not be saved. You've got people that might not be in agreement with the same ideology that Kat Van D has, um, but they're there. They're in the church maybe to celebrate her baptism, and so maybe they're there to support her. Maybe they got invited, whatever. But the church today really needs to, I think, reach out to more of those type of people, the people that the religious people would kind of dismiss. Um, Church has become a country club. You need to be a certain way, look a certain way, act a certain way in order to attend. And I think that when you see pictures like this, it could be a, a challenge, so to speak, for churches to open doors to those that might not look as like we do when we go to church on a Sunday, because God never rejected anybody except the religious, you know, the Pharisees and people like that. You know, that's what he would reject those types of people and their attitudes, not the people, but their attitudes and their hearts. But otherwise, you know, God's open to everybody and the church should be open to everybody as well. Oh, there's no doubt about it, Son. And I think there are probably plenty of churches where, you know, certain types of people would be perceived as, you know, not really 
fitting here in our church. And that's a shame, uh, wherever that might, um, you know, be in place. Because, as you said, that's not the way Jesus ministered to people. He, he, he ministered to the outcasts. You know, he ministered to the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Um, he ministered to the woman who was caught in adultery that, that the religious leaders wanted to stone. Um, and, and they, they couldn't care less about her. They, they didn't, they didn't like her. They didn't love her. They didn't care for her. They, they just wanted to, uh, you know, punish her for her, for her sin. Uh, all the while they weren't recognizing that their own sins in many ways were really far, far worse than hers. Um, just because of the attitude of the heart. I mean, you, you really don't get a much worse sin than to have a wrong attitude of the heart. Uh, you know, you know, we, we, we might think that, oh, well, you know, here she was caught in adultery or, you know, Jesus hung out with a prostitute. I mean, no, th- those are not things that God wants a person to do, obviously. Those are very displeasing to the Lord. But I don't know that they're any more displeasing than, than many, many different attitudes of the heart um, that, uh, that, that, that a person should not entertain, and, and those religious leaders were. They were, uh, they were living in, in pride, in self-righteousness, in judgmentalism. Uh, now, now, granted, you know, the Bible does say that all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So granted, that is a unique sin, and a very serious sin, and a very damaging sin. Um, sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. But so also are our sins of the heart very damaging. Uh, and that's why the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It's why the Bible says the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So as Jesus looked at the hearts of those religious leaders, um, he saw a lot of ugliness, a lot of darkness. And that's why he called them out and called them things like, uh, you know, whitewashed tombs and you brood of vipers. And, and he, he had... Uh, uh, a lot of things to say, even even you know, saying that that they want to worship their spiritual father, the devil, when they were claiming to be you know children of Abraham. I mean, so Jesus called them out for their hypocrisy and the sins of their heart. Now you you don't see him going around calling out the prostitutes like that. Um, that doesn't mean that he approved of their of their life, um, those who were living in that life, but. Um, he, he ministered to them where they were at. He, he sought to lead them uh, to repentance and faith. That was his first sermon in Mark one fifteen. Repent and believe the, the good news. But, but, but Jesus didn't, you know, really typically call them out. Uh, it is interesting. Now, when uh, Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, um, you know, her situation was, was interesting because, um, Jesus, you know, asked her for a drink and, you know, Jews weren't, you know, they, they weren't supposed to, you know, associate with Samaritans. Uh, and yet Jesus was breaking all of these rules that, uh, the traditions, I mean, you know, I mean, men were thought to be on a much higher level than women. And Jesus came and, you know, he, he treated women equal to men. Um, and this, uh, and, and Jews were thought to be on a much higher level than Samaritans. And, and Jesus, you know, treated Samaritans with as much dignity and respect. Uh, but, but in her particular case, it was interesting um, because, you know, she ended up, um, you know, she ended up being called out a little bit when 
You know, Jesus had a very interesting way of, of, of addressing the sin in her life. When, when she asked about that, that, that living water that, that he was talking about, and if she could get a drink of that, you know, rather than just giving her the gospel, um, he knew that there was something in her life that was in the way of her receiving grace. And, and he addressed it this way. He said, hey, go, go get your husband. Come on back. And, 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 and so it, it, it came out then that, um, you know, not only was the man she was living with not her husband, but she'd been with five other men, you know, prior to that. And so Jesus, he, he made reference to that, not, not as a way of just like slamming her into the dust to, to, to just make her feel like a miserable sinner, but, um, you know, it was an opportunity for the Lord to address her sin with her uh, in a way that she needed to hear be, be, because, you know, we all need to hear about our sin. Um, we're really not ready to receive grace until we own our own sin. And, uh, you know, so, so it was just an interesting uh, story where, where, where Jesus, uh, he addressed her sin in a very, um, interesting way uh, by bringing that up. Uh, and the whole point of that was for her to come under conviction of sin so that she would be ready to receive the living water that Jesus gives. And, and that's the way the Holy Spirit works, you know. Um, the Holy Spirit works to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Um, those who are sorry for their sins, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, seeks to comfort with the good news of the gospel and God's grace and forgiveness. Those who are living in sin, meaning uh, willful, deliberate. I mean, just like, you know, the, the, uh, the tattoo artist uh, who, um, you know, now, uh, you know, has become a Christian. Um, she has renounced some of her, uh, some of her deeds, darkness, uh, some of the things she was involved with. Um, and, and by the way, uh, one of those was not, you know, being a tattoo artist, in case anybody wonders. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know of a Christian today uh, that would have a biblical case to say that, um, you know, you're, you're, you're living in sin if you um, are a tattoo artist. You're living in sin if you have a tattoo. Now, I know that Christians have different um, attitudes about tattoos. Uh, and, 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 you know, um, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And, you know, the Bible says that when it comes to things, uh, uh, secondary issues like this, and if, if somebody's convinced that, that that's not for them, uh, but, but, you know, personally, I don't see anything in scripture that would lead me to tell someone who has a tattoo, well, look here, here's, um, chapter and verse where you're sinning against God. Now, yes, granted in the old Testament, there were, uh, there, there were some things that were stated about, you know, marking your body. Um, and I know that, you know, there'll be Christians who today might feel that, you know, that, that, that's, that, that would apply today. But, but, but I, I personally believe that, um, that that would be an area where, we, where we'd have to really kind of tread lightly, um, and, and not, not put a hurdle in the way of somebody getting into the kingdom, um, that really scripture doesn't, doesn't uh doesn't put there you know um i mean for example i mean what about the person let's say who 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 wants to get a uh 
a tattoo of the cross maybe on their arm or maybe the name of Jesus or something like this. Um, would that be a sin? Uh, would it be a sin if it's, if it's not a Christian, uh, you know, symbol? So, I mean, I know that that's kind of going off on another direction than maybe where we're at today, son. But, uh, but because of this celebrity who, who became converted, I guess I, I thought I would just throw that in that, um, you know, there are different opinions about, about tattoos, but I think we'd have to be very careful. Um, I think a person would have to be very careful before they, they, uh, you know, they, they, they start to push that too hard uh, because let's just say, for example, that, you know, the minute a person would say, well, you can't be a Christian if you get a tattoo. Well, how is that any different from the legalists of recent generations, you know, uh, who said, well, you can't be a Christian if you dance. You can't be a Christian if you play cards. You can't be a Christian if you go to the movies. You can't be a Christian, you know, unless, you know, you, you, you know, you wear a long dress or if you wear makeup, you can't be a Christian. I mean, now granted, yeah, you know, you, you can go to the other extreme and, and, you know, and we see that in our society today. Um, there's no modesty many times in what's worn, you know, I mean, and, and, and so, and so that, that, you know, as a way of exercising our freedom, meaning just as a culture. You know, Dan, the other thing that I think earlier this year took place, it was at Asbury College in Kentucky was a revival. And we had talked about it on the show and how this, I guess, a chapel service maybe extended itself with uh, worship. And then it grew into this kind of lengthy period of time where revival took place and people were coming to worship and sing. And it was a very low key, but very powerful event. Uh, recently at the at Auburn University, they had something very similar um, apparently it started out with a coach's wife meeting and mentoring some students who were having some difficulties uh, with depression and some other uh, mental health issues. They were having a hard time mm-hmm. coping with life. So she just started mentoring them, started praying with them. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. from this, not this particular day, it's over a period of time, but out of this, it kind of grew and grew. And then all of a sudden they had this, uh, Kind of, I don't know if it was a meeting or what they were doing, but they were having a a worship, um, I guess, night, and a lot of people showed up to come out to this kind of worship night that kind of developed out of this thing, um, and then all of a sudden it was like a spontaneous revival kind of broke out, as they're calling it, when a bunch of people then went to a nearby lake and they started baptizing students, and then the football coach. Hugh Freeze got involved and he was helping baptize people because so many people wanted to be baptized. And so then all of a sudden there's this like revival type event going on uh, at the University of Auburn. But again, it started out with apparently uh, a coach's wife just kind of meeting with some people and just trying to you know help them navigate the struggles of life that they were going through, start praying with them, started uh you know, like I said, mentoring them, others started to kind of join that group. And then the next thing, you know, um, somebody decides to have a a revival. And so they brought in a pastor from Texas and then this, or or I guess more like, a um, an event that turns into revival as more and more people started showing up. And then like, I thought they said something to the effect that hundreds of people, you know, maybe up over 200 people were baptized in one night at this worship program. And again, the football coach, uh, Hugh Freeze, was a part of it. Um, so we're starting to see pockets of these things, whether it be a celebrity like Kat Von D, whether it be a, a small, nondescript church uh, 
type college, you know, Christian college in Kentucky, or whether it be a university in Alabama, we're starting to see these pockets of these kind of revivals and baptisms and people coming to Christ. And um, is this something that we could possibly see more of, or do you think this is just kind of some one-offs that we're starting to see kind of in the buckle of the Bible belt? Yeah, I sure hope we see more and more of that. Son. That is very exciting. And I had read about that as well. And to have just that, that spontaneous, uh, powerful, you know, move of the Holy Spirit and upon all those young people then to want to be baptized, to profess faith in Christ and give their lives to Christ. Um, I sure hope we see a lot more of that, Son. And, you know, you asked a good question. I mean, is that something that it seems like it's going to start happening? Um, I, I, would, I would say, you know, probably, yes, from the standpoint that I think there always are like cycles of how, you know, the, the further our society gets down um, into, into darkness, there are people in, in the next generation, um, there, there are some of them who um, just want to rise up out of that, and, and they don't want to be a part of that. They don't want to live that way. They don't want to be immersed in that. They don't want that to define their life. Uh, they, 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 they want to connect with their creator. And, and so I would say, son, I, I think we will uh, see more of that. Now, I'm, I'm being very hopeful there. Um, I don't have any reason to believe that we won't. Um, of course, there are those in our society that hate that. You know, you'll see things like the ACLU. They'll get all worked up then that, wow, you know, this coach of a university participated in it. But see, those are people, though, son, they don't have any clue about why man needs revival. What is revival? Well, um, you know, re- revival is a move of the Holy Spirit whereby people are coming into contact with God, experiencing God, being moved by God being uh, convicted of their sins, being drawn to the cross, uh, being filled with a spirit of worship. Um, It's a very um, overwhelming experience. Um, I've often uh, referred to um, back in 1994 when I attended a Promise Keepers conference in Boulder, Colorado, and I remember 10,000 men there uh, at the stadium, you know, singing... um, uh, well, maybe it was more than 10,000. I think where I'm getting 10,000 is no. When we would sing, you know, when we've been there 10,000 years, we were seeing amazing grace. But the, the, the spirit, the atmosphere, it was, um, it was very, uh, very powerful. And, and to me, it felt like, well, boy, this is really a taste of what heaven's like. You know, when, 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 people, um, when people are in an environment, uh, a revival environment, uh, it's not something you can manufacture. I mean, I know there are churches that will talk about, well, you know, we're going to have a revival next week. Uh, and I know what they mean. And, you know, a series of, of meetings, a series of, 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 you know, services and preaching and singing. That's great, you know. But, but technically, um, you, you, you can't just have a revival. Um, only God can produce a revival. I mean, think about Pentecost. <clears throat> that was the first um, and the greatest by far revival where the Holy Spirit was poured out there uh, 2,000 years ago, um, nobody manufactured that. God produced it. Um, No man brought it about. In fact, what did Jesus say? Wait in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high, you know? Um, So the most we can do to bring about a revival is to pray for it, to wait for it, to believe God for it, Uh, whether it be a revival in our own heart, 
a revival in our family, a revival for a loved one, a revival in our church, a revival in our uh, community, a revival in our nation. Um, there have been revivals that have been very widespread. And, and, and so that example you gave there, son, at the school and the, the mass baptisms, um, or like what, what we saw here with the, the, the revivals um, over the last year, you know, at some, at some universities, uh, where, where, where young people are, they're, they're wanting to stay in the presence of God. They're wanting to confess their sins. They're, they're, they're wanting to just be in God's presence. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. That's revival, okay? Um, you want God's glory. You want you don't want man's glory. You're you're, you're not about you know have any ha- having somebody propped up as like you know like some prominent figure, whether it be a worship leader, a a, a Christian speaker, a pastor, whoever. Um, you, you're not interested in that. Um, the Apostle Paul wasn't interested in that when he was writing to the Christians in, in Corinth and saying, I mean, you know, you guys, he essentially said, you guys just don't get it. I mean. Some of you say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Apollos. Um, who, who, who is Apollos? Who's Paul? I mean, you know, we're just servants. Um, you know, one plants, the other waters, but God makes it grow. Uh, God's the only one that matters. And, and when you're in a revival, that's what you are consumed with. You're consumed with God. You're consumed with his glory. You're consumed with his message. You know, you, you, you kind of just lose um, you, you lose focus on the world. And, and that's where, when, when revival breaks out, say like on a college campus and you hear like a, a chapel service extending two days, three days a week, you know, it's like, wait, why, why are these youth going there for the same reason on the spiritual, you know, side, side in terms of the Holy spirit, for the same reason that a lot of kids live uh, for the weekend to party because one is in the flesh and one is in the spirit. And um, if you're not experiencing spiritual revival or anything close to it, um, then, of course, parting in the world uh, seems like a, a, a acceptable outlet because, I mean, you, you kind of lose yourself for a while and it feels good. And, and you can kind of, um, you know, get into a zone where uh, you get a buzz or whatever and, and you're enjoying that, you know, but the Bible says do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. So you can get filled up with the flesh, filled up with, with um, you know, uh, drunkenness and, and sexual immorality and, and, and everything that goes along with that. OK, um, that, that's one way to live, uh, live in the flesh or you can live by the spirit. But both of them, uh, you know, tend to be overwhelming the deeper you get into it. The deeper you get in with the Holy Spirit, uh, the more it just kind of carries you along like a strong current in a river. Um, you know, where we live here, of course, uh, and where I grew up, you know, 90 miles north of here, um, you know, we always knew that, boy, you would, you would never go swimming in the Missouri River because of the strong currents and undercurrents. And, and, and you regularly hear of somebody drowning uh, in the Missouri River. And sometimes it's somebody that they don't really know. They're new to the area or maybe even new to the country, you know. And, and, and so they all oh, wow, a body of water, river, you know, great. I'm going to take a dip, you know. And, and I heard of one not too long ago where it was someone um, who, uh, you know, they just went in for a swim and, and they lost their life. But, but, but that's what um, the flesh is like. There's an undercurrent to um to drunkenness and sexual immorality there's an undercurrent to it and and many have lost their lives even their soul uh to the pursuit of that because it feels good um in the moment 
It feels good to the flesh. It doesn't satisfy the soul. Um, it certainly doesn't, you know, please the Lord. Um, and you have to go back for more. You know, it, it's very addictive. Um, but but I, I would say that um, the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is also addictive in a, in a very positive way. You, you want more. You know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, so when, when those disciples, uh, when those followers of Christ had the Holy Spirit fall on them on the day of Pentecost, they wanted more. They wanted more of the Holy Spirit to control their life. And, 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 and the bottom line is, son, it's often not so much us getting more of the Holy Spirit, because he already lives within us who believe in Jesus, but it's him getting more of us. It's us emptying ourselves, because as D.L. Moody said, the great evangelist, he said, you have to be emptied before you can be filled. So I go back to the, to the Samaritan woman. The reason Jesus brought up um, the man she was living with is not your husband. And, you know, these five guys, they weren't your husband. He brought that up because we have to own our, our, our deeds of the flesh. In other words, we have to confess that to the Lord and say, and say okay, I see now, God, why, why you, you say that sex outside of marriage is a sin. I see now, Lord, why you say that sex is to be reserved between a man and a woman. I, 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 in marriage, I see now, Lord, why you say that I shouldn't judge other people. Why I shouldn't gossip? Why I shouldn't be critical? Why I shouldn't hold grudges? Whatever the case might be, we have to own our sin. Say, Lord, empty me of of of, of those desires. Of, of forgive me for those sins with the blood you shed on the cross, and then, Lord, replace that with holy desires. And, and that's what revival does. Then, son, it just it really um, ups the ante. It 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 it, it increases the voltage. Um, it, it, it becomes very, very powerful. It's a current, but it, 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 it's, it, it's a current that takes you down a river. It doesn't pull you under, the, you know, in terms of a destructive thing in the Missouri River, but, but you get into flow, and, and it's a very powerful thing, and you're going forward in the Lord. You're going forward in your faith. You're going forward in your Christianity. You're going forward in your witness, and, and it starts to consume you. Um, and, and that's a good thing because I tell you what, son, whether people realize it or not, everybody's going to be consumed by something. Um, you know, you can try not to be, but you will be, you're going to be consumed by something. Um, and, uh, you're far better off being consumed by things of the spirit than things of the flesh. You're far better off being led by the spirit than driven by the flesh. We hear stories every day in the news of people who were driven by the flesh, either in anger or lust or greed or whatever, and now they're sitting in jail, or now maybe they're dead or they killed somebody or they hurt somebody um, or whatever the case might be because they were driven by their flesh. Um, and, you know, there was this miracle of, of this young this young girl, Charlotte, this nine-year-old girl here last weekend who, who went up missing, son. Um, her family, they were camping there at a, at a state park in New York. And I guess some kids were out kind of playing and she was out there with maybe some kids and she was on her bike and they were riding around this little trail there at the park. And apparently, uh, you know, they did that. And then she wanted to go for one more ride, you know, and I guess she went by herself and well, she didn't come back. They ended up finding her bike, you know, so uh, they had uh, about 400 law enforcement officials uh, then immediately uh, looking everywhere for her and it was really interesting because um, this predator uh, who had taken her, um, he ended up, I guess, uh, trying to put a ransom note in the mailbox of the family at like four in the morning. 
Um, and I'm not quite sure why maybe he wasn't nabbed right then and there. Uh, apparently there was people watching, you know, officials watching the house, but off of the fingerprints, they were able to track, uh, well, see, he had had a, a, a drunk driving charge back in 1999. So his fingerprints were in the database and praise the Lord for that because they were able to then, um, find several homes connected to him, including his mother's, uh, and where they found him, son. Um, he, he was in a camper behind her home, and when they went into the camper, fortunately, thankfully, um, you know, they not only got him, but then Charlotte, little nine-year-old Charlotte, was in a cabinet. Something was covering her, but they said outwardly she appeared to be physically, you know, unharmed. Um, so we don't hear too many of those stories uh, when someone that um, twisted. Um, you know, uh, a predator among us when, when they, when they snatch one of these little ones. Um, but, um, where I was going with that is just, um, we, we see how dark man's mind can become. And, and on a side note, son, it's important for every listener today to realize, and this includes all of us. Um, there is essentially a fingerprint database in heaven, an offenders list. The Bible says that, uh, there are books in heaven, um, and one day those books are going to be open, and um, it's recording our deeds. And in, in that sense, God has our fingerprints. Um, he knows exactly where we're at, exactly what we've done, where we have been, where we've committed sins. Um, we've all committed thousands of sins, you know, thoughts, words, and deeds. I'm talking now about, you know, teenagers and adults, you know. Uh, I'm not saying that a, a newborn baby has committed thousands of sins, but I'm saying for us, you know, um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they rack up. I mean, just think in the last 24 hours, you know, uh, how many sins a person has committed. You know, maybe, maybe you, maybe you uh, spent 10 seconds, you know, harboring some ill will towards somebody that you don't like. Well, that's a sin, you know. Maybe you spent five seconds gossiping about someone. That's a sin. Maybe you spent 12 seconds lusting after another person sexually. That's the thing. I mean, you know, so, so there's all sorts of sins and, and these are all recorded in the books in heaven and the books are going to be open. And the only way that a person will escape eternal punishment is to have their name written in the book of life. So there's an individual book, the book of life. I, I like to call it heaven's reservation book. And then there's the book. So the books contain the deeds. The book contains the names of those whose sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. How does that happen? Through faith in Jesus. Through faith in Jesus. You're forgiven on the front end of a relationship with God. Just like Kat, this woman that, that we're talking about, uh, she was forgiven of her sins. God's not going to hold that against her, throw that in her face. Oh, well, you know, you dabbled in the occult. Why do you think you're going to get into heaven? Hey, her sins were all forgiven when she, when she turned to Christ and, and trusted him. And that's why we celebrate Anytime anyone comes to the Lord, and the Bible says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So uh, it's important, though, for every listener to know, son, that God's got their number. He has all of us. He has our fingerprints. And the only way that we can um, escape divine punishment, eternal punishment in hell, is to have our sins washed away. Even as it says in Revelation, where John's vision, you know, where he saw all these people, you know, before the throne of God, you know, these in uh, white robes, who are they and where did they come from? Uh, uh, and, and it says, these are they who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. 
So, so that's the opportunity that people have, like Kat, like people today, son, uh, to turn to Christ, say, Lord, wash me, Jesus, with your precious blood. I mean, you don't have to use those words, but uh, that'd be a beautiful prayer. Wash me, Jesus, with your precious blood. The, the key is to believe in the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And by the way, son, I, I don't really care for a term that I, I, I even read this, uh, a theologian I really respect. He used this term in something he was, he was writing um, about a current event. And, and I hear this term thrown around. Sometimes, you know, maybe you and I, you know, want to do a podcast on it. But you'll hear the term easy believism, easy believism. And, well, you know, people who just give intellectual assent to, like, Jesus and so forth. I don't like that term be, be, because it's misleading. Yes, I would agree that Christianity is a whole lot more than just believing in Jesus. That's how you enter in, okay, a whole lot more than that. But I don't like the term because I, I think some people, when they hear that, they say, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, you, know, you, you, you got to do a lot more than that to become a Christian, to which we have to say, wait, time out. There's a lot more than that to living the Christian life. But are you telling me the thief on the cross wasn't saved? When he said, you know, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Are you telling me he wasn't saved? I mean, that, that was easy believism, you know? Um, that, you know, it doesn't get any easier than to just believe and receive a free gift. And as Oswald Chambers said, the reason it is so easy for us to obtain salvation is because it costs God so much. So I would say this, I, I would throw that term out and I would say it's very easy to be saved, redeemed, justified, born again, and forgiven because of what Jesus did for us. But then that's when the challenges are going to begin. Once you're in the family, once heaven is your home, once you're saved, okay, um, you're, you now it's going to be tough to say no to self. And guess what? You're going to get to do that for the rest of your life on earth. And sometimes you're going to do better than others. It's not going to be easy. And oh, and my goodness, if you live in a country where you're, you know, you're, you're Christians are persecuted, it's definitely not going to be easy for you. Um, but, 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 you know, at the same time, yes, I, I think what people are trying to say when they use that term, they throw it around and they're trying to say, well, you, you can't just say you believe and then live however you want. To which I say, well, yeah, of, of course not. You know, the Bible addresses that. I mean, but don't use the term easy believism. Uh, that, 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 that's more of just, you know, that, that's not Christianity. You know, if someone says, well, you know, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I, I'm going to live for sin. I want to live for sin. I want to make that my, my, my goal and my God, uh, you know, so, uh, uh, but I, I just don't, I think it's misleading um, when, when you throw out the term easy believism, be, be, because the only way to enter into the family of God is to believe your way in. You cannot work your way in. You know, Kat did not work her way into the kingdom of God. She believed her way in. She repented and believed. That's all you can do. Turn to God. Uh, you, you don't even have to like clean your act up as if you could do that, right? As if you or I could do that. No. Um, you, you have to be willing. You, you, you need to turn to the Lord with a, with a, with a humble heart, a repentant heart, and God will work that in you. But, but it's not like, okay, now, you know, we'll, we'll put you on probation, you know, for a day or two or for a week. We'll put you on probation. Let's see how you do before you get saved. I mean, just think if Jesus had said that to the thief on the cross. Oh, sorry, dude. Um, you know, I, I wish I could do something for you, but, but, you know, you're going to die like I am here, uh, in the next few hours. Okay. Uh, and, uh, it's kind of too late. Cause how am I going to know you really mean it? You know, uh, wh what do you think I am? Someone who promotes easy believism, <laughs> you know, no, Jesus didn't say anything like that. 
he, he accepted the man who, who humbled himself the same way the, the, the father accepted the prodigal son when he came home and, and he didn't demand that he, you know, um, do all sorts of things, jump through all sorts of hoops. No, what did he do? He threw him a party because the son had truly repented uh, of his wayward life. And he was sorry that he had, had, had made a mess of things. Uh, but, but his father did not make him um, jump through hoops. And, and, uh, you know, now, you know, once he got back home, I'm sure there was plenty the father wanted him to do, you know, as part of the family. But my goodness, when somebody who was lost is found, if you love people, then you're, you're thrilled at that. And that's where you started today, son, where, where we started talking today, um, about Kat, about this woman who was lost a long way from the Lord. And, and any Christian who's like going to get hung up on, oh, well, you know, she did this or that. It's like, wait a minute. Don't you know what you've done? Don't you know how, how far you would be from the Lord if, um, you know, if it wasn't for God's grace? And by the way, I would say to a Christian, if you are currently looking down on her as though you're somehow better than her, then I would say, guess what? Your current sins seem to be a lot bigger than her past sins, okay? Your current sins of judging, of looking down, of, 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 of uh, you know, so, so this is the challenge for, and this is why Christianity is an easy son, be, be, because um, you know, it's very easy to judge others and be critical of them, especially, and maybe even after you're saved. And, and, and as I pointed out in, in our Bible study last night, son, it's very interesting to me, in, in the book of Romans, which is a, just an amazing uh, systematic presentation of, of Christian doctrine, there really is none, none like it in the Bible. It, it's the best systematic um, treatment of, 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 of Christian doctrine. Uh, and by the way, I was listening to a message by Chuck Smith, uh, this week of Calvary Chapel, and he made reference to Romans, and he said, I think it was Stanford University, but years ago, and because Chuck Smith's sermon was probably 40 years ago, but he said years ago at Stanford, he said in, in, in the law courses at Stanford, there was a professor who made the first six chapters of Romans required reading because Paul presented such an airtight legal case for, you know, for, for the Christian faith. That, that they were in, in the secular university using that as an example of how to present an argument for these, you know, um, you know, people studying to be, be lawyers. Uh, so I was going somewhere else with that song. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, last night at the Bible study, um, I, I pointed out that in Romans chapter 2. I mean, right away in chapter 2. What does Paul hit very, very hard? you know, to the saints in Rome, to these believers. He hits very hard the sin of judging others. You, therefore, who judge someone else, you know, you're condemning yourself. Read Romans 1 and 2. Notice how quickly he gets into that. And I suspect, son, what was going on is that even though those people were saved, um, Paul was aware of, of some judgmental attitudes that, that were, were being held by some of the believers, because that's natural. It's natural for us who've tasted of the supernatural to fall back into the natural, to fall back into the flesh, to fall back into the old way of thinking. And, oh, my, now I'm saved, so if I'm not careful, I'm going to start looking down on somebody who's not. And, and, uh, and, and so Paul nailed that, just like Jesus addressed that with the uh, Samaritan woman at the well about her, her, you know, the men that she'd been living with. Um, Paul addressed this with the Christians uh, so they would own it. 
Yeah, they were saved. Yeah, they were forgiven. Yeah, they, they had gotten in, you know, easy through faith, which is the only way to get in. But now the work begins in cleaning up the home, and only God can do it, but cleaning up your heart. And, and just because a person gets saved, son, doesn't mean they don't carry into their Christian life all sorts of judgmental attitudes. And we're all guilty of it to one extent or another, you know. Um, so um, that's the thing about Christianity. It's easy to become a Christian. It's very challenging to live as a Christian, but that's, that's all we have. I mean, what, what are we going to do? Turn around and go the other way? Are we going to give up on Christ? We, oh, no, I don't want to go to heaven. I'd rather go to hell. It's too hard. Really? You think hell's not going to be hard for eternity, for people there? a million times harder than, than whatever you're going through right now. So um, we have, the Jesus has the words of eternal life, and uh, we're able to share them with people, and um, it's an amazing thing. And so, um, yeah, I mean, those are just a, a few thoughts uh, along uh, this topic today. Yeah, and the other thing that was kind of cool was when they went to the lake at this baptism at Auburn, it was spontaneous, and it was getting dark, so they, they line up the cars, and they turn on the headlights, so that people can see, and it's just things like that that bring it back to, to to being real. You know, a lot of times we see a lot of things in the church that are so fake or staged or whatever for the purposes of viewership, if it's on TV or attendance, if it's trying to get some big numbers. But when you get these, you know, uh, just kind of spontaneous gatherings that then want to go off to a lake, and it was a half mile away, so they walk a half mile, someone brought their cars, line it up around the lake, put on the lights, and, you know, they have at it. It just kind of goes back to kind of some of those genuine things that we used to see with the, uh, you know, like Billy Grahams and those type of people. Yeah. Just, you know, straight yeah. gospel message, revival, you know, preaching Jesus. Right. And, um, and it's just kind of refreshing to see some of these things happening now oh, in, uh, in, in America. Well, son, it, it is. Yeah, you, that's a great um, comparison you make, and that's exactly right. It, it, it's like um, all of a sudden there, you're, you're being drawn back to a different time. Um, I mean, ultimately, you're being, you're being drawn back 2,000 years to what started to happen when the Messiah arrived on the scene. But as you pointed out, son, and many of us uh, you know, are old enough you know, to, to kind of hearken back to some of those days with Billy Graham. I mean, even if we didn't necessarily live through some of them, we were maybe too young. We at least, you know, heard the stories and, and we witnessed things in our own childhood and youth and teen years where, um, yes, I mean, whether, whether it would be around a campfire at a, uh, at a Christian camp, whether it would be, uh, you know, Billy Graham crusade, who, by the way, you know, my, my brother-in-law uh, came to know Christ by listening to a Billy Graham sermon, I, you know, as many people did over the years. Uh, but the, yes, it, it harkens back to a, a, a time when there was much more, I would say, innocence, uh, you know, um, society has become so coarse. Society has become so vulgar. Society has become so angry. Society has become so sensual. Um, society has become so twisted. You know, things that we would have never dreamed that are now in the mainstream. Um, you know, and, and, and just things with, with a, a person's gender, their sexuality, or, or whatever the case might be. Um, and, and we haven't even touched on just the horror of abortion. Uh, so all of those things are in the, the flow, the tide of sin, of darkness, the undercurrent that will pull you under. And so, Sam, you're referencing like, you know, uh, they're, they're the, the, the revival that breaks out, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. Um, to be a part of. And that's what we want for everybody in America and, and, and ultimately in the world. 
We want everybody to experience that. Um, because how can you come to know Christ unless you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit? He's the only one who can bring you to faith in Christ. He's the only one who can work repentance and faith in your heart. You know, um, what did Jesus say in John chapter 3? He said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. That is, um, you know, uh, women give birth uh, to little babies, and the Holy Spirit gives birth to man's spirit uh, by by working uh, conversion, repentance, and faith. So, yeah, you're right, son. Those, those are things to pray for. Those are things that we can, um, you know, ask God to do again. Uh, what, what's that great Christian song, you know, Sonny? It came out maybe a little while ago, but, you know, asking God to, you know, do it again. You know, I love that. It, it's like a prayer, you know, Lord, do it again. Uh, I think of, of, of Habakkuk, you know, uh, Lord, uh, we, uh, we, we, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. In our day, you know, make them known. You know, um, it, it's awesome to think about what God has done um, and, and to pray for those things, to pray for revival. Uh, in fact, I have a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones, Lloyd uh, and the title is Revival. And he makes a strong case that, I mean, of all the things we should be, you know, doing or praying for as Christians, there's nothing more important than to pray for revival. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in power, I mean, wow, all bets are off. I mean, we've seen that. We, 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 we've seen that in recent examples in America. I mean, you know, how do you get you, you can't. You cannot manufacture that where, where kids are going to a, 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 a chapel uh, at their college, days on end, days on end, maybe a week or two on end or longer, you can't manufacture that. Um, you wouldn't want to manufacture. You wouldn't want people there against their will. Uh, you wouldn't want to try to force that. It, it wouldn't feel right. It wouldn't um, be right. It, it would be forced, um, you know. Uh, but, but when you have something, when you have a move of God on your life like that, where you have to be there. You're compelled to be there. You know, it's like, you know, Peter and John in the book of Acts, uh, you know, uh, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard, you know? So, so those students there, you know, at Asbury, we cannot help, but just hanging out here at chapel. Why, why would we want to go somewhere else? This is powerful. This is amazing. I've never felt this before. I've never experienced this before. I've never had this kind of a hunger and thirst for the Lord before. And that's what we're talking about, Son. You know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, sure, there are a lot of critics of Christianity in America, but I'll tell you what. Um, once you taste and see that the Lord is good, you want more. You want more. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You want more. Um, you want more living water. More, you know, Jesus said, if you then know you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You want more. Um, when you taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's what compelled Paul and Peter and John and the apostles and many Christians today. And now Kat, you know, uh, this tattoo artist, uh, you know, she's being compelled now to share the gospel, um, to win others to Christ. And, and what, a, what a beautiful thing that is. And we can just pray, Son, that, that God does more and more of that, because that's our only hope. I mean, my goodness, we can talk to her blue in the face about all the problems that there are, and there are so many. but um, you know, the solution is Jesus. The solution is what Paul experienced when he uh, went to the third heaven. You know, the first heaven is the Earth's atmosphere above us, the sky. The second heaven is outer space, the planets, the stars, sun, moon. The third heaven is up even higher than that. The third heaven is paradise. Paul said, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. You know, only God knows. 
but you know, I heard inexpressible things. Now, granted, he said he, he said I know a man who did that, but he was being humble. He didn't want people to accuse him of bragging. But I mean, it was him. You know, every Bible commentator, you know, you know, has has acknowledged that, that it's him. That was Paul talking about himself. Um, he went to the third heaven, and that's where we're going to go one day. And you talk about revival. You talk about nonstop revival. You talk about unending revival. Uh, you talk about no interruptions. Um, so a taste of that. Has, has happened here at times and even recently, but, but that's where we're going to really experience um, the full load of, of God's uh, power and presence and majesty and glory and praise. And uh, so that's going to be amazing. And in the meantime, we need the Holy Spirit. Just like we need Jesus, obviously, we need his blood to wash us, and we need the Holy Spirit's power to move us forward. Because otherwise, we'll just live in fear. Even as Christians, oh, you know, I, I don't think I should say anything. I don't think I should, you know. Well, hey, Ask God to empower your words, to empower your prayers, mainly your prayers. That's the most important work you and I can do is, is to pray. And then after that, when God gives you opportunity um, or where he leads you uh, to, to speak, then he'll give you the words. You know, he did that with the apostles. Um, he'll do that with us. So, uh, yeah, I, lo- I love your ex- analogy. There are not an analogy, but really just your um, that, that point you made, Son, about um, – you know, some of those places, there, like the, the place over the headlights. I mean, just kind of just, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, we don't need anything else. Uh, we, we wouldn't even need to have, you know, the light of a, a headlight or something. We don't need anything but the Lord. But it, just when, you know, with everything this world has to offer, all the gadgets and gizmos and technology and computers and, and everything, and now AI and everything else. And I think what you're pointing out there, son, is that, wait a minute, let's pull it back. What if we took all of that out of the equation? And we only had the Holy Spirit, you know, what would that experience be like? And that's what you're saying, son. That's what man needs. And all this other filler stuff, all this other, you know, um, all these other distractions. Um, oh, my goodness, son. Think about the people who are going to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. And they had every, every one of the latest technological gadgets. Maybe they even had millions in their bank account, but it wasn't well with their soul. You know, Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? And and I'll tell you, son, without the Holy Spirit, man doesn't care about that. He doesn't think about his soul. He doesn't know what he's risking. He doesn't know that he's playing Russian roulette with his soul. He doesn't know that he, he's on the edge. Uh, he's on the precipice. He could go over the cliff. He could go down into hell at any moment if it wasn't for God just giving him more time, more time to come to Jesus, you know? So, Yeah. Um, we need the Holy Spirit to wake us up to what is real, what is true, what is eternal, you know, and how much God loves us. And he wants to save us. Uh, but we've got to own our sin. We, we, we've got to turn to the Lord. And, and God, God will do it. Um, but, but he wants us to, to repent and believe. Dan Delzell with us as we talk about the things that cross us as we sit on the crossroads of faith and pop culture and dan once again we appreciate your time and thank you for your insights and we look forward to uh, many more conversations god willing oh i sure do as well son thank you so much and for those of you listening you can check out our website at radiowarp.com that's radio w-a-r-p.com just click on the sanctified reason podcast logo and all of our shows will pop up and you can see past episodes um, and listen to past shows and then also, if you want to email the show, you can at sanctifiedreasonpodcast at gmail.com. That's sanctifiedreasonpodcast at gmail.com, and we will respond. So once again, 
Thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.